The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Some Pharisees came, and to test him they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then, in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, people were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. One of the opportunities I had when attending seminary was that of serving as an on-call chaplain at a hospital that was very near to where we lived. So at the end of the day, I would often go to the hospital to make my rounds. One particular experience has stuck with me over the years. I was going through the hospital, and this one nurse came up to me and said, Could we talk? It was not uncommon, by the way, for our ministry to be as much to the staff as to those who were there as patients, because at that time the patient load was very high, and there never seemed to be enough nurses. Well, she pulled me aside, and she started to put out the pain that she was carrying within her for her sister. Because her younger sister was going through a divorce, and it was terribly upsetting for this nurse. And then she started to tell me about the fact that as people from India and from their particular tradition in India, marriages were arranged. And she said, my marriage was arranged. I have a wonderful marriage, and I love my husband. But my poor sister, it was a romantic arrangement for her. She fell in love, and now you see what has happened. As I listened to her, I was thinking about my understanding of marriage and how difficult it was for me to enter into her understanding of marriage. She was beside herself about the fact that her sister had not had the opportunity of an arranged marriage. And because of that, she was having a divorce. Cultural differences can be so difficult for us to understand, and they make such a huge difference. The gospel text that we have this morning is not among my favorites, especially on the day of a baptism. 
But then again, Job wouldn't be a whole lot better. <laughs> but Becky and I, before the first service, both agreed if it wasn't for the lectionary, we'd never address these topics. And because this lesson can be so hurtful as it's heard, and because it's so often misinterpreted and misunderstood, I felt that I needed to address it this morning. Marriage in the culture in which Jesus lived was very much like the culture that that nurse was describing. Marriages were arranged. They were not just between a man and a woman. They were between families. It was a sort of alliance. And one can imagine that in a culture that is dominated by shame and honor, you either have honor or you end up with shame. A divorce would have tremendous implications. It would have implications in the community, for the couple, and certainly for the families involved. Now, this was such a hot topic. It had been discussed for generations by the rabbis. And the discussion was always, it seems, about divorce and the grounds for divorce, not about marriage. And it was such a hot topic that it became a key difference between two of the rabbinical schools. So clearly it was very important. Now, in this particular gospel passage, we see Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. And as he goes there and he knows he's going to be arrested, persecuted, crucified and ultimately resurrected. He also teaches his disciples about discipleship. But from time to time, the Pharisees and the scribes come to him and try to trip him up with a question. And often it's a question about the law. And I think as we go through this this morning, it's very important to understand that he's being questioned on the law. And Jesus replies with regard to the law. But somewhere in this, we need to see God's grace. And I think that we see God's grace throughout Jesus' teaching. But in this particular section of gospel, we're seeing Jesus in an argument with the Pharisees about a point of law. The Pharisees ask him a question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, this had been argued for generations. They knew the answer. They knew the arguments. Perhaps what they were thinking about was the possibility that they could trip up Jesus and he could get in trouble just like John the Baptist did. Remember that the question that tripped up John the Baptist had to do with Herod's divorce of his wife so he could marry his brother's wife. So again, it was a question of divorce and adultery. So they possibly asked this question in order to get Jesus in trouble with Herod because the Pharisees were in league with the Herodians to try to capture Jesus and punish him and perhaps put him to death. But whatever their plan, Jesus turns the tables on them. They ask about divorce, the grounds for divorce, and Jesus replies about marriage. Jesus talks about marriage in a way that sets a very high goal, a very high standard. He says, for what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now there's another scene. Jesus goes into the house with the disciples and the disciples question him further. Do you get a sense of how important this question of divorce is in Jesus time? And we thought that we were the ones that had the problem with divorce. They were talking about it a lot, perhaps even more than we do. And you can imagine that scene. 
Jesus is trying to explain to them something about divorce, and they are asking more and more questions. And I think that perhaps this quest, this particular section of the gospel is given to us by the writer, particularly for the community to which the gospel was intended. Because you'll remember in the part that just came before, it was about a man divorcing his wife. And in the Jewish tradition, that was the only possibility. Women did not have the prerogative. But here we hear about Jesus describing a woman also divorcing, divorcing her husband. In the Greco-Roman world, it was possible for a woman to divorce, divorce her husband. And perhaps there were issues that had grown up in that community that Mark is writing to that needed to be addressed and that were of concern to all of those who would have heard this gospel. We are so far removed culturally from the first century that it's very hard, I think, for us to even begin to understand the deep emotional complexities and the questions about marriage and divorce at the time of Jesus. But we know that we still struggle with those questions. They're very much a part of all of our lives. So what might we take from this particular text? I think it's important for us to acknowledge, first of all, that Jesus was unambiguously affirming fidelity in a lifelong relationship. And all of us who have been married, whether that marriage has worked out well or not, have made those vows ourselves and believed and prayed and hoped and worked that that would indeed be the case. I think it's also important for us to recognize that no one, no one in that text had any question about how difficult it was to live into those vows, to live into that whole ideal of a lifelong relationship. And I think we also need to understand this text within the context of the broader ministry and teaching of Jesus. You'll recall that the commandment not to commit adultery was given to Moses. But Jesus gave a new definition to it. He said, anyone who looks at another lustfully has already committed adultery. Now, I don't want to step into the trap that Jimmy Carter did. And unfortunately, my wife, Lou, read this sermon before I gave it and asked, have you? I think we all know what this means. And perhaps there's none of us who is able to say that we are innocent. But Jesus' teaching is not meant to be a gotcha. What Jesus points out to us is our inability, our utter inability to keep the law, our inability to always do the right thing, our inability to enter into and to maintain healthy, life-giving relationships. He invites us to see that we are human. And to see that we are always in need of God's grace and of God's love and of God's forgiveness. Every one of us. Now, perhaps that's why the section that follows is in this particular place. Again, try to imagine the scene. Jesus and the disciples are having this great adult conversation about divorce and marriage. And there are children everywhere. And there are parents also trying to get their children over to Jesus so he would touch them. 
Now, some of the commentators have speculated that unlike the pictures that we have in the children's picture Bible about all these innocent children gathered around Jesus' feet and waiting for him to bless them, instead, it might have been more like a pediatrician's waiting room because they would have heard that Jesus was this great healer and would have brought their children to him, hoping that he would simply touch them and heal them. In that, I think there is so much grace, the hope and the possibility that Jesus would touch one of their children who needed so much the touch of Jesus. I think it's also important that we remember that in the first century, children were very, very vulnerable. They depended very much on the pater familias. The father could decide if the child was a member of that family or not. And indeed, could cast the child out if he had any doubt. The child was utterly dependent upon the father for any status that child might ever have, for any inheritance, and indeed, even for that child's life. I think that perhaps this passage is a reminder to those who heard it the first time, for those who might have been present at the event itself, and certainly to us, that we too are dependent upon the Father. We too are dependent upon the one who gives us an inheritance, the inheritance equal to that of the firstborn, the Son, the Christ. We are dependent upon the grace and the love of a loving God and a God who will forgive. And the one who wants to touch and heal the children will touch and heal us Make us whole, make us whole even in our relationships. Now, today we have the privilege, and what a privilege it is, to baptize four wonderful children. And they are part of wonderful families as well that love and nurture them. I, I only hope and pray that we may also, in some way, be a blessing to them, that as they grow and are nurtured, that we may be a small part of that and that they, most of all, might know the love, the tenderness, the forgiveness, the touch of the one who can make whole. Amen.